The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good day, everyone. Welcome again to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address, coming to you from the studios of WWDB AM860 here in a rainy and gloomy Philadelphia today, and uh, happy December. And uh, we are streaming live as well on WWDBAM.com. And, again, you can reach the show on Boomer Generation Radio at gmail.com and like us on the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page. And um, we want to get right to the um, to the, our first segment here today. We have some very interesting and exciting um Individuals, I think, uh, gather together at uh, Kendall down this down US one a little bit, uh, and I think uh, our quarterback for the day is Peggy Brick. Peggy, are you there? I'm sure, right here. Good, good, good. And you have a you have a whole gaggle of people there, right? Uh, no, not a gaggle, just <laughs> two very competent people. And why don't you introduce why don't you introduce those two people before we get right into it? Why don't I let them introduce themselves? Go ahead, Marilyn. Okay, I'm Marilyn Van Savage. And I've never been described as a gaggle before. <laughs> well, that or a giggle, so. <laughs> and I'm Doug Spencer, and Marilyn and I are both residents here in the Kendall community. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you very much, Marilyn and Doug. Peggy, um, we want to talk a little bit about this a very interesting book uh, that uh, you have put together uh, for the residents of Kendall at Longwood called Experiences, subtitled Life at a Continuing Care Retirement Community. And before we get into some of the selections let's uh, let's get the reason why you produce this volume uh, what was the motivating factor for you putting this book together well i was sitting one evening and having dinner with some new residents and they said that they had trouble finding out about what a continuing care retirement community was that there were no good books Well, that was a challenge. We decided we should develop a book. A continuing care community has three levels. One where people move in, live independently, until at some point they may need what's called in Pennsylvania personal care. In other parts of the country, assisted living. Mm -hmm. And then they finally needed nursing care. So we decided to... Tell about a continuing care retirement community by asking residents to write about it. So we sent out a letter. We told them we wanted a book with stories of their life and that it was only to be a short story. It was to be in one place at one time. One time. And what we got were 54 stories that we found are very interesting, and that's the book. So uh, what do we want to do is we want to take some time in this, uh, and actually it, it, it really works out well, the type of day this is, uh, to uh, listen to some of the selections. And I think, Marilyn, um, you're going to lead off uh, in, in, a, in a section that you wrote, I think, called It Takes a Lot of Courage. And so you're just going to give us a little excerpt from this and... Um, Go ahead, and then I just want to ask you one or two questions about it. So why don't you go ahead and just uh, give us a little sample of um, It Takes a Lot of Courage. Well, I said it takes a lot of courage to admit to yourself that you're getting old. 
I came to that conclusion about 10 years ago when I looked in the mirror and saw staring back at me a face I didn't want to admit was mine. That woman looking at me had laugh lines that were there even though she definitely wasn't laughing and a body that was obviously not perky any longer. Curiations had set in and I couldn't avoid it. I was sharing my feelings of remorse regarding this situation with my good friend Gloria when she commented on something that she'd been thinking. She said, I think it's time we go into a retirement home. You mean an old folks home, I screeched? No, just a minute, she said. We don't have to look at it that way. Just a nice place to spend the rest of our, our lives. Well, I go on to talk about uh, saying that it would be good to live in a place where I didn't have to climb the stairs or mow the lawn or, or scoop the snow or drive to doctor's appointments. And then we had a period of exploration when we looked at various homes or various facilities. And uh, then I say uh, we were feeling discouraged because we, we found places that didn't have any nursing facilities connected with, with the independent part and uh, um, other places that looked too much like institutions. So then finally I say, we finally saw Kendall at Longwood. I fell in love with the grounds as soon as I drove down the lane. Magnificent trees lined the walkways. And speaking of walkways, how wonderful it was that they were covered. The apartments being at ground level was a definite plus. And the nursing care section had a feature that I knew I would appreciate in the future, private rooms. That meant that I would not have to share a room with some old, cranky, senile persons, since I was not planning on being female my, <laughs> senile myself, or cranky for that matter. Then it was settled. We were coming to Kendall. We had each chosen a one-bedroom apartment. Finally, after a two-year wait, Gloria moved in, and then it was my turn six weeks later. Our trip into the last part of our lives had begun. I might say that uh, one wonderful thing about Kendall is that uh, our independent living and uh, assisted living and nursing care section are all here right on the grounds. And most recently, my good friend Gloria, whom I mentioned, uh, has had to go into the nursing care section and uh, it is so easy for me to be able to visit her uh, at any time I want to and even to uh, have some staff bring her to the dining room that we all use and uh, have her join us for dinner even though she is in the nursing home so I feel that, that is a real advantage of being here. Uh, Marilyn, so thank you for that little uh, snippet. What, what uh, you know? What's the one key major takeaway from your experience now? How long have you been at the CCRC? How many years? Well, actually, today is the anniversary, my tenth year. Wow. Okay. So, tenth year. Um, if somebody, well, I'm going to ask you, what's the one thing, Marilyn, that you take most pleasure in about your experience there? Well, 
because I have a dog, I enjoy so much being able to walk my dog on the beautiful grounds here at Kendall. The grounds are just absolutely lovely. And even if it's raining or snowing, I can walk my dog under the covered walkways. And if it's a beautiful day and not raining or snowing, we have a beautiful perimeter path that we can walk out around and in the trees and the woods and maybe see a deer. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think the beautiful grounds are what impresses me the most. You feel at home there, don't you? This is home. Yes. I I, I go on to say in my piece that I think this is the happiest time of my life. Wow, that's a very interesting... Just explore that with me for a minute. Why why would you... Some people would say, wow, that's an amazing thing. We would think another time raising children or career or travel... Why? Why? Why uh, is this the quote happiest time of your life? Well, unquote. It, it's because of the sense of community that we have at Kendall. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, the staff is fantastic. We just have a wonderful. We have a wonderful medical staff. Uh, in fact, uh, the person I ask to see most often in our medical staff is a nurse practitioner, who is just uh, wonderful. And uh, in addition to the staff. Um, the residents. I'm not a Quaker myself. This is a Quaker facility, but I really appreciate Quaker values. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just a wonderful, loving community. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Doug. Yes. How are you doing, Doug? Doing well, thank you. Now, I understand that uh, you're coming in out of the bullpen, so to speak, if I can use uh, uh, one of my more uh, uh, popular images um, for um, Mr. Brubaker, who's under the weather. And so uh, why don't you take us through, uh, just first of all, how long have you been a a resident uh, at Kendall? My wife and I moved here in September of 2008, so we've just completed seven years. Okay, great. And you're going to be uh, featuring, a, if I'm not mistaken, a, um, a writing from Mr. Brubaker. Right, correct, yes. That's titled, I think, 32 Inches of Snow, which is something I no one, no one wants to see at all. <laughs> so. Right, and his subtitle is Rich to the Rescue. All right, Rich. so go ahead, go ahead. Give us a little snippet of uh, Mr. Brubaker's uh, piece. Okay, well, Rich uh, was the CEO of Kendall Mm -hmm. uh, until just about a year ago. And he wrote this to reflect some of what Marilyn said about the closeness and attention we get from the staff. So Ed says, we had moved from Kansas and were happily ensconced in our new home in Kendall when we were blanketed with a record 32 inches of snow. Uh, That's a lot of snow for the Philadelphia area, and they aren't sure what to do with it. I awoke that morning to discover not only the snow, but my left eye closed with a strange skin infection running from my eye up into my hair. Although the walks had not yet been cleared owing to that ridiculous amount of snow, my wife Dory and I waded through it up to the medical offices in the center. The nurse soon diagnosed my ailment as shingles, and it was confirmed by Dr. Sitkoff. And uh, he said, well, there is a new medicine on the market for shingles, which if taken as soon as the disease is detected would clear it up in two weeks. Well, then he goes on and says, how's he going to get to the pharmacy, and da-da-da-da-da. And they did find a pharmacy that was open, 
but uh, how will we get there? And then he says, if you knew Rich, you'd have guessed that it would be Rich, already a Kendall phenomenon, who would solve the problem. And he talks about how Rich started as a high school student uh, washing dishes and then college and so forth and became famous when, as CEO, he joined the maintenance crew at 6 in the morning that day to shovel walks during, oh, during another snowstorm. So he volunteers, Rich did, to drive and get the medicine. He found a four-wheel drive Jeep, braved the icy roads, purchased the medicine, delivered it to our front door that day, and in two weeks, my shingles was gone. And uh, we all were very impressed with Rich. We are impressed with our current CEO and with uh, the family relationship, really, between staff and residents. So, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that, that's it. That's what I wanted to. That's what Ed wanted to emphasize, and I would uh, agree with that. So, first of all, we wish Ed well and 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 a, and a speedy recovery from from his being under the weather. And so, your your experience in these since, since 2008. Um, how do you? You know, respond and resonate to not only what uh, Marilyn wrote and read, but from what Ed wrote and your own experience. How do you fit into this sense of community? Well, interesting you should ask, because uh, the piece that I wrote, which I would just make a passing reference to, was about how difficult it was for us to leave the house that we had retired to in 1992 and had 16 wonderful years living there and had many good friends, really good close friends, and moved to a retirement community. But we felt it was time. And after we made the move, we agreed it was time. And although we left the home, here we found a community. And I think that's the big thing about Kendall. I would just... 100% 100% agree with Marilyn that the community feel here is is what sustains us. What motivated you to move? You said you had a retirement home. You, I mean, you, you, you downsized we, into a, a regular, you know, freestanding home, and you then decided to move into a CCRC. What was the, if I don't, you know, what was the motivating factor? Well, we could see it was getting to be more and more things to take care of, you know, shoveling the driveway, shoveling the walk, this goes on the fritz, you have to get somebody to fix it, and we were 75 and 76 when we moved, and we had seen uh, relatives who said, oh, I'm never going to move out of here, and then uh, something would happen, and they would become immobile, and what would they do, and it just made a lot of sense to have those those uh, possibilities covered and made a lot of sense that our children were not going to have to jump in and help mom when she falls and breaks her hip. Right. Uh, well, and, and you moved from like a long way away. I think you mentioned in your in your piece like 100 miles away. Yes, it was it was Carlisle, but we had lived uh, for the 30-some years before we re- retired to Carlisle. We had lived in the Philadelphia suburbs. So oh, okay. So you were, in essence, we knew coming home. Ken 
and in essence coming home. Yeah, right, 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 right. right. So again, I'm going to ask you the same question that that I asked Marilyn. What what's the one takeaway if you if somebody said to you you met them at the Wawa down the street and said I'm thinking about we have to move you know we're at a certain age just like you said we we don't want to keep shoveling the snow and we're on two stories and we're thinking about this. What's the one thing you would suggest to a family, a husband, a wife, or even an individual who are, is contemplating this? What's the takeaway that you, you, you would give them? I guess the takeaway is don't think of it as you're moving into an old folks' home. Think of it as you're moving into a community of active people with tons of things to do. <laughs> I remember when our daughter and her husband came down to visit us uh, after we'd been here a few months and said, well, what are you doing? And we listed, you know, Janet was singing with a Kendall Singer. She was already starting to do something in the pottery studio. I was doing some things in the woodworking shop. We, we were on a couple of committees. You know, you don't sort of have to think of, oh, I'm going to go there and be withering away all by myself with nothing to do except sit and rock. In fact, <laughs> our kids gave us, when we first retired, a two-seat rocker. And uh, they said, this is for when you retire, you'll be able to sit and rock. Well, we hardly ever sit and rock. <laughs> no, I don't blame you. Well, I, and, and you're sitting next to a, a young lady I know from a previous show who does not sit down and rock away the time. Peggy, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderfully. In fact, we just got a new recliner where I do sit to read. read. And one of the most exciting things for me as you're asking that question is um, a Women's Lives book group that I belong to that reads fascinating books. And also a class that my husband teaches, a literature class that gives us books that are really a challenge, but he helps us figure out how to understand them. <laughs> well, I needed him during my school. Um, <laughs> a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people say that, that they've been to top-rate colleges, but he has a different perspective. And that's, that's sort of the way it is here. Um, people come and they find a way to utilize the skills and abilities that they have. Uh, for me, I'm, I've always been an organizer, so while I'm here, I've started a number of different groups. One, a transition group that helps new people um, adapt to the place, learn different ways they can be active and enjoy the community. Well, I know that, that one of the things that is important and one of the reasons why we wanted to have this conversation, again, is to send the message that um, the nature of transition into different types of home environments and facilities is really, really, as we speak in front of us, changing as the society is hopefully changing out of its view of how a person ages and ages with health and um and even ages when things you know don't don't go so well. I know we we have about uh, we're going to start to run out of time in this segment. And I know Peggy, you had a you had a segment in experiences that you wanted to uh, that I wanted to invite you to just give us a little snippet of. Before we do that, though, if somebody wants to get a hold of this, Peggy, how how do they get a hold of experiences? Well, you know, they can go online and just put in experiences life in a continuing care retirement community. I do have, um, I think that's the easiest way. And they'll get to the web where they can order.
murderers. And I'll tell you, the feedback has just been so exciting. People who are considering moving here um, get a sense of what life is like. I think when marketing talks, they tend to talk to people, I don't mean here, I mean everywhere. Mm -hmm. They focus on the, um, the real estate. And for us, at least for me, what's important is the life and the excitement of photographs that are beautiful done here. Paintings done here. All around us are the activities from from our friends, and and that's it. Every day we meet with different people in the um, shop, and um, it's just it, it's so alive. Well, I know it's about a, a lot of it is about as 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 uh, Marilyn and Doug and of you and other people have mentioned. It's about the um, the intensity of the relationships that build the community. So. Peggy, why don't you? We, we're gonna. We only have about five minutes left to four minutes left in this segment. Why don't you just give us a little bit of a snippet of one of the things that you wrote in experiences? Well, you know, the most important thing I wrote was the introduction, which explains about a continuing care community, and um, I, I like that introduction. Uh, because it explains the values that are central here. Uh, over 40 years ago, I write, a small group of Quakers recognized the need for a new way of living as people age. They envisioned a community where people first live independently in cottages, but where they need further support, they move to a health center where they receive additional care as needed. The Kendall, Kendall model, teaching to Together, together, transforming the experience of aging. And that's what I think we do. And um, all of us, one of the common dinner conversations is about how distressed we are about friends who could afford it but stay at home and then have an emergency. And what we are so clear about is the caring and the connectedness that continues even as people uh, diminish in various ways, whether it's physical or mental. I've just um, become a hospice volunteer, which means I will go and visit with people toward the end of the life. I'm not a stranger. I'm a friend who's been with them for maybe uh, many, many years. And um, that's that's the way. When Ed Brubaker couldn't do, I called Doug, and right away, Doug's willing. And that's, that's sort of the way we're supported by each other all the time. Um, you go ahead. Yes, the opportunities I end are endless, and for each of us, they keep changing. Some of the activities we enjoyed, we arrived a youthful 75, are not possible today. So what's possible, I ask, at 86? Why we could recruit our friends and neighbors to share their experiences of living at Kendall. Together we could create a book to help people understand why day by day we love our life in this community. And that was the book we created. So this is the the book is filled with uh, these little uh, page page and a half um, reminiscences reflections. Um, yes. Well, it's all about life here. It's not from their past. Um, 
let me just read quickly the um, titles of the sections. Why Kendall gives uh, Marilyn, that she read to you, and Doug's moving day, um, it gives um, a group from a, someone who thought about the financial reality and that they reasoned they would move here because it made financial sense, which I think a number of people may not understand. Um, then we have a section on our outdoors, very popular, all kinds of fun stories there. Favorite places, which includes our library, which has 10,000 books. We spend about $8,000 a year buying new books, and that's quite a challenge. Um, they don't buy any books that are over 500 pages because they know nobody will read them. Then we have one on creative lives, and one, it happened right here. These are absurd stories, including a woman whose husband gets locked out of her bedroom when the lock jams, and they have to call in maintenance. And then one, the final one, our caring community. No matter what happens, even when someone has dementia, they're part of the community. And insofar as possible, they meet with us, come to meals with us, come to a movie with us. Well, Piggy Brick, uh, Marilyn Van Savage, and Doug Spencer, I want to thank you very much for giving your time and uh, sharing a little bit of your uh, writing talents about life at Kendall and what it means to, to move into a CCRC, a continuing care retirement community. And perhaps somebody out there listening who is in the process of thinking about this, should we, should we not? Uh, can uh, be motivated to say, you know, uh, this is as much activity and fun and community and caring and support that we don't get anywhere else. And uh, perhaps they're motivated to make that next step and make that call no matter where they live. So I want to thank you again. The book is Experiences, Life at a Continuing Care Retirement Community. You probably can go online Amazon, uh, kick it no, in not there. No, Amazon. Not Amazon. Not Amazon, Richard. Just on, onto the web. Which it's web? Not, yeah, it's on the Kendall uh, Oh, website. you go to the Kendall website. Okay, the yes. Kendall website, and you can get this book. Uh, Peggy, Marilyn, and Doug, thank you very much. I, 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 I want to wish you uh, just a good holiday season and uh, give our best to your colleague there, to Ed, and I hope he feels better. Thank you very much. I'm sure we'll be talking to you sometime in the near future. Take care. Have a great, great month, great holiday. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And before we move into our second segment, again, a reminder of a very good friend of ours, uh, Peter Hecht and the Hecht Investment Group of Johnny Montgomery Scott, which provides concierge financial consulting and planning services, which use a formal investment process as their foundation. And as we've reminded you many times, clients receive frequent communication and rapid response to questions. And uh, there are few needs greater than our own when it comes to personal financial planning, especially in today's environment, because uh, I want to remind you again that the Hecht Investment Group, especially in today's environment, provides experience, guidance, and an efficient management process. And uh, Peter and his team can assist you in connecting to the Investment Banking Department, which specializes in assisting middle market companies achieve their financial goals. So we invite you to contact Peter at the Hecht Investment Group toll-free, and that number, again, is 855-289-2168. That's 
289-2168 or visit them at the hectinvestmentgroup.com. Hecht Investment Group is also on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And Jenny Montgomery Scott is a member of the New York Stock Exchange, FINRA, and the SIPC. So it's December, and um, it's the 100th anniversary on December 12th of the birth of Frank Sinatra, which speaks to a lot of baby boomer and stuff. So uh, we're going to feature a little Frank this month for a couple of weeks. This is a, this is a um, Stevie Wonder cut. I think, um, I hope, that we put in. And it's going to take us from um, the CCRC into some physical therapy So, uh, with our next guest, Mike Donahue. So uh, here we go. This is from me to you, this song. You are the sunshine of my life. That's why I'll always be around You are the apple of my eye Forever you'll be in my heart I feel like this is the beginning Oh, I've loved you for one million years if I thought our love was ending, find myself drowning in my own tears. You are the sunshine of my life. That's why I'll always be around. You are the apple of my eye. Forever you'll be in my heart You must have known that I was lonely Cause you came to my rescue And I know that this must be heaven How could so much love be inside you? Hi, this is Kendall's staff member, Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio was brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in Together Transforming the Experience of Aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888 888- Welcome back to our second segment of Boomer Generation Radio today, uh, coming to you again live from the studios of WWDB AM860 here in Greater Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. 
and again, you can reach us at boomergenerationradio at gmail.com on, and also on Facebook, the Boomer Generation Radio page on Facebook. And we are delighted to welcome to the microphone, uh, for our second segment, Dr. Michael Donahue, the head of Team Rehab Physical Therapy. Michael, are you there? Yes, I am, Richard. How are you? How, how are you? How's Ocean City? You're in Ocean City right now, right? I am. It's rainy and overcast, uh, but still a pretty nice day here. Well, welcome. Uh, uh, Michael, uh, one of the great Jimmy Buffett fans uh, in the Philadelphia area, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. And absolutely. So uh, it's... Um, it, it, it's it's probably a good day to just sit, kick back at home and listen to some Jimmy Buffett as well. Uh, not a bad well, idea. It's hard to be in a bad mood and listen to Jimmy. That's he has true. a unique outlook on life and uh, takes it as it comes. And uh, uh, we enjoy it immensely, uh, particularly every Friday. That's true. It's ready for a weekend. That's true. So, Michael, uh, we want to have a conversation. I want to thank you for coming on uh, the Boomer Generation Radio to talk about your specialty, the whole concept of physical therapy, and why it's um, why it's so important, and especially to get your take on this the surge of our generation, the baby boom generation, which seems to be. Um, so involved in joint replacement surgeries, knee replacements, hip replacements. Um, are you seeing? Are you, are you seeing? In I mean, you have private practice. You're in West Deptford, the, the Woodbury, West Deptford, Mantua area in southern New Jersey. Are, are you seeing an increase in the number of our generation who are really in, in need of your services? Well, absolutely. One of the interesting things, Richard, is I started practicing back in 1987, and um, uh, maybe it was because I was young or perspective, but people in their 60s and early 70s seemed old back then. Yeah, and, um, that changes. Joint replacements, yeah, joint replaces uh, were more about salvaging somebody's ability to function in the community, um, to help them in their home. Um, you saw them, but the expectations of what the patients had regarding the, the knee replacements, hip replacements, weren't as great. Um, this generation, uh, boomy, this boomer generation, um, they're not satisfied with just getting by. Uh, they want to be able to do things. They want to be able to dance. They want to be able to ride their bikes. They want to be able to play tennis. And the one thing that I've gained, besides perspective and some experience, is that how important it is for this current generation to, to be active and to uh, be able to do the things that they, that they measure as, as important parts of their life, that they're, they're not willing to give up. Uh, so that um, to be able to have that uh, opportunity to uh, resurface a joint, uh, to give them back a quality of life that they uh, were missing um, has been a great benefit to a great many people. Uh, and so that uh, you're going to see those numbers continue to grow because uh, uh, nobody wants to go quietly into the good night, as they say. Right. And uh, they want they want to go kicking and screaming and playing ball and uh, shopping and hiking. It amazes me every day um, the patients that I see in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s that uh, have an outlook on life where they, they want to do stuff. And uh, we're fortunate enough that we have the medical technology um, to, in many of those cases, make a significant improvement in that. And therapy being one part of that, um, the, obviously the uh, surgical skill and the experience helps put them at a starting line 
um, and then hopefully we can pick it up from there and, and help them get back and achieve some of the, the goals that they're hoping for. I mean, you've started practice in 1987. Just reflect for us for a second the the amazing progress of medical technology that you've seen with your pay. Because you you also, if, if I think you, you've also been involved with athletic teams and um, stuff like that. Not only in private practice, but you've been involved with athletes. So you you've yeah, really I, probably seen this this transition, this amazing um, uh, push of medical technology to make a lot of this possible. And it really is. I mean, um, uh, medicine's a funny business in that a lot of times they're not, they don't do things because they necessarily um, want to, but, but almost are forced to. Uh, one of the great examples of that is, is in terms of trying to limit the amount of uh, blood that's lost during a surgery. Um, you know, back in the day, you know, docs didn't really care so much. You went in and gave blood or your family gave blood. Um, and uh, they had it on reserve, and you bled it out a little bit, and they gave you more blood. You don't see that kind of stuff anymore. And one of the reasons had to do with obviously going on with the AIDS crisis in the mid, you know, mid '80s and stuff like that, but also with some of the religions that wouldn't allow for blood transfusions. Right. So they had to find ways. They had to find ways to do it better. Um, you know, they uh, had all these problems with post-operative scarring, with big incisions, so they had a way to find ways to make the incisions smaller. So now you see, especially with the joint replacements, uh, the minimally invasive surgeries, where they make a much smaller incision, there's much less blood loss, there's much less cutting of tissues, a little more technically difficult for uh, some of the surgeons uh, to do, uh, but it makes the outcomes better. It makes the recovery uh, better. So we've, we've gone... Um, tremendously in the last 20, 30 years uh, from these big uh, uh, surgeries that were kind of more at the ease and comfort of the physician uh, to be more consumer-driven, outcome-driven, uh, to try to make it uh, reduce complications, to reduce blood clots, to reduce uh, hemorrhaging, to uh, reduce scarring, uh, so that people can get up and moving um, faster. If you would have told me 10 years ago, we'd be saying a uh, a knee replacement surgeon, uh, uh, patient that was a knee replacement patient, um, two days uh, after their surgery in the outpatient clinic, I'd say you're crazy because wow. you know they were they would spend two weeks in the hospital, then they'd uh, spend a couple weeks at home having home care. We might see them a month after. Um, you know, after their, their surgery sometimes. Um, now, you know, the person has a total knee replacement on Monday. Uh, they're out of the hospital on Tuesday, and they're an outpatient on Wednesday. Wow. And um, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, not saying it's not painful, um, but the expectation is the, the less you lay around, the better. Uh, get moving, get out of the hospital where all the germs are. Um, and so you reduce the risk of infection, um, get into your own home where you're more comfortable, and then, you know, get and get yourself to outpatient care and, and get moving. So um, it kind of all flows. It's amazing, the changes, uh, the technology, the, um, the, the way they've been able to reduce uh, the incisions um, and uh, speed up recovery. It's been, it's been a wonderful uh, overall process um, over the last 15 years in particular. We're speaking with Michael Donahue, the head of uh, Team Rehab Physical Therapy uh, in West Deptford, New Jersey, uh, really talking about the whole revolution, I guess. Uh, that, that's the right thing to say in physical therapy. My, my, one of the questions, Michael, that, that I always like to ask people who, who devote their careers and lives to certain professions is what, what drew you to uh, becoming a physical therapist? Um, 
you know, it's it's a you know, it's a kid in high school. You know, your 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 thoughts are evolving about what do you see yourself doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and honestly, my my initial thought was, I'm Irish. I like to argue. Maybe I should be a lawyer. And um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I found myself you know starting off in political science at Gettysburg College, and and, and just didn't feel right. And I, I heard a bunch of other. I happened to be playing football at the time, hearing some other athletes talk about how they were going to go to grad school for physical therapy and they were going to work with sports players and sports teams. And, and you know, my ears perked up, and um, I went to speak to our, our athletic trainers about, you know, I might be interested in doing that. What would I have to do? And so uh, I began working as a student athletic trainer in the off-season. Um, I set up myself to uh, prepare myself for grad school, and uh, it was just a nice fit for what I wanted to do. Um uh, I always felt this need to, to do something for for others, and 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 uh, I found uh, medicine and uh, athletic training and physical therapy uh, a nice fit for me because you help people to get back on their feet, get back their life. Uh, there's a personal satisfaction in that, and it was also nice that there were a lot of jobs available. So it was one of those things where I thought if I got the degree, I shouldn't have to worry about. Really trying to look hard to find a job, and, mm-hmm. and the types of the types of different environments on which I could work were many. Uh, I work in a, a small subset of, of physical therapy, and primarily orthopedics and sports medicine. But there's others who dedicate their lives to, to working with pediatrics and kids and, and geriatrics who specialize just in older people, uh, particularly with uh, dementias and uh, Parkinson's and stroke and those type of patients in, in more of a rehab facility. Um, and you can do cardiopulmonary, you can do wound care, you can do hand care. So the, the options were, were there. So I, I like that aspect so that if I, if I wanted to evolve my practice, I, I could do that uh, pretty easily. So how many years post-undergraduate, and then you have a doctorate, you have a doctorate in right. physical therapy. So you, you basically pre- prepared yourself from, I, I would imagine, four years undergraduate, and then how many years graduate work? At the time, uh, Richard, there were um, uh, not that many master's degree programs back in 1985, and um, it was a a a two-and-a-half-year master's program then. And then um, with the evolution of the profession, uh, they felt that the therapist should have, instead of a master's degree as an entry-level clinical degree, it should evolve to a doctoral-level degree. So they allowed people like myself who had already had a master's plus uh, to continue on and take additional courses, uh, bring yourself up to date with evidence-based care, uh, wellness, health, um, radiology, pharmacology, all these different courses uh, to then uh, complete your complete the clinical doctorate in physical therapy. So I had done that uh, part-time over a course of two years, uh, taking uh, two courses a semester or so, uh, and then one in the summertime each summer to uh, finish up the, the doctoral part. So um, I have a clinical doctorate. It's not a research doctorate, a right. PhD doctorate, but it is a clinical doctorate in physical therapy, which I think is important. I think one of the things that I think any of your listeners who are, who are going to be considering, uh, you know, investigating physical therapy is physical therapy something for me. Um, it would be important for them to look at the qualifications of their of their therapist and, and some of the experiences. I'm a little biased in the sense that I think you're better off with uh, a little bit of seasoning, you know, in your therapist to have seen maybe a variety of different kinds of situations that uh, may be pertinent to your condition. But um, 
the, uh, the, the the quality of physical therapy out there overall is very good, and these kids are learning, and it's an ongoing, lifelong process. We are required to take uh, continuing education programs each year by the state of New Jersey to maintain licensure. Um, so there's a big push with all the different changes going on in medicine today to look at uh, effectiveness of care and quality of care and evidence-based care. And so uh, it's important that your your listeners or anybody considering therapy, uh, you know, have a therapist that is on top of things like that. That's a, it's a big difference because it's continually evolving. It's continu- continually changing. We're all trying to find ways to do things better. Wow, that's that's important for people to understand to check again, check the experience and the qualifications and the training and and um, it's after all is is it's your body, it's your life, and you want to take the best care of it. So, we're speaking with Michael Donahue, uh, a team rehab physical therapy in West Effort, New Jersey, talking about the whole panoply and and arena of physical therapy and. We will be right back with Michael to finish up uh, this second segment of Boomer Generation Radio right after this uh, brief message from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall. Founded on Quaker principles, Kendall provides independent living, assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states. Whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city, Kendall has a community for you. We are together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more, visit Kendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our second segment here of Boomer Generation Radio, and we're speaking with Michael Donahue of Team Rehab Physical Therapy in West Deptford, New Jersey. Uh, by the way, you can reach them at 845-1253 in the area 856. Um, in case you want to talk to Michael and get some consult or go see him. Um, so, Mike, the, um, talk to me a little bit about the mental aspect that you deal with. Of, uh, I would imagine that, and, and full disclosure, you, you, you are helping with my, with my leg after surgery. Um, and just some of our conversations on air and off air. Uh, you do a lot of mental counseling, uh, pastoral counseling, as I would call it, don't you, during the course of a day? Well, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before in that um, it's it's very important that when we have uh, your with a therapist that there is a somewhat of a relationship there that you have and that uh, you find out what the person's um, interests are, their strengths are, what kind of resources that they have available, uh, not only physically, but also emotionally and mentally. So. I view it as my job um, and, and my approach that um, we try to uh, identify those things that the person may have and to use them to their advantage to help them gain better insight into their condition, uh, to be able to take ownership of their condition. Uh, in many cases, in, in years past, therapy used to be something that was applied to someone. You did something for someone and they were pretty much passive in the process. Um, uh, nowadays, it's, it, it, there's much more responsibility on the patient to take responsibility to be engaged and be involved in that. So everybody comes to my office with a different experience and a different um, understanding of what therapy is and what it is. So I'm, in a sense, trying to guide them um, through the process of them understanding their body 
to help them become a little bit more aware of what sensations are, to help them interpret those sensations that they feel uh, during the recovery process. Are they something that they can work with and build on? Are they ones that they have to try to avoid? Um, and to you know create a path for them uh, that they feel comfortable and confident that they can manage uh, their symptoms on their own. So in a sense, we act as a guide. Um, but in order to be a guide, we have to be informed of what they are, are bringing with them. And uh, uh, some people need a little bit of guidance, and, and they're off and running. And some people, because pain is such a, an individualized experience, and, and we all have different experiences with pain, um, you know, how well, what coping skills do we have that we can, we can call up and to uh, utilize uh, during this recovery process. We help them identify those things. So mm-hmm. um, I, I want them to not fear their pain. Pain is, is basically your body saying, I feel unsafe at the moment. So if we can help them feel safe with what they're doing, they're much more apt to have a buy-in, take ownership, and feel more comfortable assuming that responsibility. A lot of people I've spoken to, and I'm sure this you just alluded to this, is a regular aspect of what you do. Uh, and that is this whole concept of pain. Uh, you know, I have to go to physical therapy because I had my hip replaced, my knee replaced, or I, I fell, I this. And some, you know, well, it's going to really hurt. You know, physical therapy really hurts. But yet, how do you how do you deal with the individual's um, hesitancy, fear? Um, and what do you do with people who just are resistant? I'm, I'm sure you've run into this in, in the course of your practice. They just they're very resistant. Um, yes. Uh, one of the things that I, I, again, going back to what I was saying, is that uh, people don't understand really kind of what pain is. And, and for many of them, pain is an enemy. And um, I try to show them and try to, to try to teach them that, that pain is really information. Uh, pain is, is guidance. And if we can use that information um, uh, constructively, um, then they don't have to fear it as much. And uh, like I said, some people are better at it than others, but it's really an enjoyable experience. I, I personally really enjoy when a person comes in and they have this high fear anxiety level. You can, you can see it in their posture. You can see it in how they walk. You can see it in how they're, when you're talking with them, taking your, your history with them, that they're just afraid. And uh, by the time they leave, their whole demeanor changes, their whole posture changes, they're much more comfortable, they're breathing deeper, and they say, you know, everybody told me how much this was going to hurt, and it really didn't, and I made a progress, I made I made a difference. Um, and that's really, that's one of the things that, Richard, keeps you going, mm-hmm. is that when that person leaves coming in anxious, a uh, little bit tight, clenched in their teeth and their hands, and they leave relaxed, talking to my girls at the front desk, like, wow, that was that was much better than I thought. Um, if you can get that, then they're going to they're have a buy-in. They're going to they're say, okay, we can be a teammate in this process. That's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I, in trying to come up with a, a name of my company, um, I really try to emphasize that, that it's about teamwork. It's about, it's about them and I trying to reach common goals um, and to do this together. And, and you can lean on me for a while, but eventually I have to kind of push you away and say, okay, now it's time to take this on yourself. So uh, if you can get them to not fear pain, to understand pain, that pain has a role, that's your, that's your body not feeling safe about something, and we can do things that give them safe experiences, that give them repetition, then they're much less likely to be, um, you know, resistant um, to, to what we're doing. 
what's the future in in one sense of um, your profession? Uh, um, there's a lot of one-on-one. I would, I guess, for the sake of argument, uh, low tech. You know, hands-on. Do this. Let me show you how to do this. Is there, and I'm, I'm sure you, the professional journals look at this and, and conferences and professional, edu- you know, continuing education, but is there a movement like in everything else to, um, for some more electronic abilities, a stimulator, electronic stimulations, thing people can do at home? Uh, is there a future in this in, in your profession? Well, there's always this battle between like high tech and low tech or like high tech, low touch, um, and uh, high-touch, low-tech type thing. Um, personally, I think technology play, can play a role and will always continue to play a role. However, those situations are going to be small compared to the bigger picture. Um, uh, in order for us to be effective long-term, Richard, is that we have to help people help themselves. Where you're going to see technology probably play a role is uh, through the Internet and people being able to do things um, you know, instead of me being able to spend time with patients and, and, and physically show them how to do things and, and give them a little bit of high touch, the insurance companies are going to require you to not visit a physical therapy but log on to their website and say, uh, here's, here's our low back exercise program, follow along with the computer. Right. Um, and, 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 you know, that'll be very, very cost effective. Uh, from but. the insurance company standpoint, but, but, you know, you have no way of knowing. I mean, um, I won't go into any specific and name any names, but there's a, a very large company that's doing something similar to that. And um, I see the patients who had had surgery at their facilities, and they come in to me and, and they're saying that uh, this thing's goofy. You know, this thing, <laughs> you know, you can't get any feedback. You can't, you know, it's telling me, you know, that I'm doing great and I haven't done it one time. Um, you know, it gives you all these kind of bells and whistles, but there's no real interaction there. It's, it's very dry. It's very distant. And, and, and patients really don't like that. I, I certainly hope that, um, you know, we don't lose sight that there is some value in, in low tech, high touch, you know, part of it. Um, but there, like anything, like it, it was abused. Uh, there were probably too many therapists back in the day, too many chiropractors, too many physicians where a person would come into their office and, and they would get a hot pack and electricity and lay on the table for a half hour. And then they would bill the insurance company $150 for physical therapy. Right. And that went on for years. And so, you know, that stuff had to go. Um, but sometimes that pendulum swings a little bit too far. Uh, physical therapy, what it comes down to it is really about the interactions between people. One person um, looking for help and the other person looking to provide guidance and help along that way. And I, I hope that we don't lose that. Um, it doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out process. Um, but with our insurance companies and the way that they're structured and the way they allow benefits and they're not allow benefits and the preauthorizations and the limited number of visits, um, it really gets hard and frustrating to do that um, because there's no real rationality to it. It just comes down to some accountant, some actuary saying, um, we only want to spend this much on therapy and, and so carve it up you know, however way you want, but this is all we're going to spend. Um, Medicare has limits now, you know, in terms of uh, what they'll provide for uh, in terms of a calendar year. And then they have an exceptions process, uh, which under certain circumstances allows you to exceed that up to another limit. 
Um, but, you know, for the patient that gets hurt in January in a slip and fall and, and hurts themselves and then needs to have surgery for another body part later in the year, sometimes they, they run out of benefits. You know, they run out of authorized, you know, authorized amounts, and you have to go through these long, drawn-out processes where, you know, you have to try to get additional monies, you know, in a sense, provided to, to be able to provide provide care. Um, they just look to make it complicated sometimes. So, unfortunately, patient care is lost. So, uh, physical therapy is not immune to the uh, uh, contingencies of the American medical system and healthcare system. No, and unfortunately, the truth is that, you know, we're, we're not, we're not, we might be, look, I personally think we make a difference in lives, we change lives, we give people to have the chance to have their life back, but we're not saving lives. Mm-hmm. So when they look at dollars, when they look at expenditures, we're an easy cut, we're an easy, you know, we're an easy pick because we don't make a difference in the course of a day. We're not saving a life, we're not giving a medication that's putting somebody, bringing somebody, you know, back to life. Um, ours is a quality of life profession. And, um, you know, the, the politicians make it easy to say, well, that's an easy one. That's an easy, you know, pick there. We can cut that and we can limit that because they'll just have to deal with it on their own. Um, uh, whereas some of the more expensive, more of the life-saving type things, you know, they're, they're always going to be necessary. Well, I would, uh, so I would, yes. I would suggest that, um, by you providing quality of life and the ability of a human being to enjoy that quality of life, in many cases, that is beyond, beyond measure. So, uh, uh, thank you for, thank you for what you do and, and continued success. We've been talking with Michael Donahue, the head of Team Rehab Physical Therapy in West Effort, New Jersey. Uh, that phone number is 856-845-1253 and they're on the web at www.teamrehabphysicaltherapy.com. Michael, thank you very much for um, giving us a little bit of a look inside what physical therapy is and how it works and uh, the movement and the reaction to medical technology and how it's made things uh, very interesting and challenging. So I wish you, first of all, a great holiday season. Uh, Take care of yourself. Say hello to the girls in the office. I'll probably see you soon. And uh, thank thank you you for your time. Thank you. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. you. To all of you, thank you for joining us again on another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. Uh, Stay safe out there. We'll see you same time here on WWDB AM 860 here in Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. See you next week. Take care.